Welcome to the High Tech Freedom Podcast. This is a podcast where we bring successful tech sales professionals, thought leaders, and entrepreneurs to share best practices, insights, and lessons learned with other tech sales professionals. As a sales professional, the more we learn, the more we earn. Once we earn it, how can we put those hard-earned commission dollars back to work to build additional income streams that will create the freedom we are all working to achieve? I'm your host, Chris Freeman. I'm a high-tech sales leader, real estate investor, and lifetime learner. Welcome to the High Tech Freedom Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Freeman. And for our next episode, I'm excited to have Bronson Hill, who has been a highly successful sales professional in the medical device world. And he's been a number one sales rep multiple times. He's qualified for sales club and president's club multiple uh, times, multiple companies. Uh, I'm really looking forward to this discussion because Bronson, uh, like myself, he had been investing in real estate throughout his entire sales career. And then in uh, July of 2021, he left his medical sales career to focus more full-time on his real estate investment business. Bronson now runs Bronson Equity, which helps individuals become financially free through investing in apartment buildings and other real estate assets. Bronson, welcome to the High Tech Freedom Podcast. Chris, I'm so excited to be here, man. I love talking about this stuff. I love talking to people that are in sales because it's it's such a unique role that most people don't understand. And you know, you're constantly pushing yourself to get to kind of that uncomfortable situation where you're you're trying to get the sell, ask another question. And grow. So I, I love personal, you know, conversations like this. I love helping and, and contributing, giving back in any way I can. Well, thank you. Really appreciate it. So, um, can you just share a little bit more about your sales career and journey? Yeah. So I, um, for ten years, I did medical device sales, and like you mentioned, I was president's club. I think it was four out of the eight years eligible, and so I uh, did very well there. I uh, was very happy. Started kind of, you know, at a really started kind of in phone sales for a while. And then I really wanted to get into medical device sales. And I'm sure a lot of people can relate is like, you want highly technical sales in a certain area, but you don't have expertise in that. So you just kind of work your way up. You start at you know, one company, you keep going, you try to develop yourself. And then over the years, I'd had um, a, a rental property in another state. Uh, basically, you know, my goal, I think what I was doing about five years ago was buying single family houses in the Cleveland area at around fifteen to $30,000 each, which was great. We we're putting some money into renovating them. But um, my goal was to get 30 of these and to leave my, my job. Because what I wanted to do is I really wanted to have freedom over my time. And uh, you know, I realized with my sales role, even though it, it wasn't you know, directly a time for money trade, it wasn't like I got paid this much for this hours or you know, these type of things, I still had to be there. And I still had to maybe 30 hours a week, I got paid really well, but it was just hard to leave. It's like, it's the golden handcuffs, right? You get paid so well, and you kind of work yourself into a role, but it's just not intellectually challenging anymore. It's not something that I was continually growing. And so I wanted to get to a place where I could develop passive income. Thought I'd do it with single family. Had a, a, an encounter with a, a relative where I kind of said, why don't you consider multifamily? And that kind of began, I began on a journey of just how do I actually go about this multifamily thing when I really don't necessarily have a lot of money to invest, but how do I get there? So that was kind of part of my journey of how I got started. Okay. I talk about this a lot is, you know, we're in high-tech sales, um, not because we absolutely love high-tech sales. I mean, it's great. It's challenging. It's interesting. It's innovative. But part of the reason we do it is because there is an opportunity for a tremendous amount of upside and good income. And the idea is you're doing that because there's something else that you're striving for, some other freedom or some other thing that you're looking for. And so it's a great way to 
uh, build up some momentum uh, to get there, you've achieved it. That's right. really cool. Yeah. And I'm happy to share too. I know a lot of folks are in sales. And so obviously there's some things I've learned about sales and just, you know, giving some tips on things that I found to be helpful. I'm, I'm happy to share on that too. I think there's a lot of, it really is a, a skill set. It's a trade. It's something, it's a craft that we do. Nobody wants to be sold to or have a salesy person around, but a really high, you know, caliber salesperson, people really enjoy the experience, right? And that's what you want to be as a high value person. So I have a lot of admiration for people that are tuning in that are, are really trying to add value to people. And that's what I hope uh, this conversation does as well. Yeah, but well, let's dig into that a little bit. So if you think back over your sales career uh, in the medical device uh, space, or maybe even before that, I mean, what was your best position that you had over your career and why? Yeah, so my best position was my last position um, that I left. And again, I was making, uh, you know, just between, between 200 and 260K a year. I got to where I was working about 30 hours a week. So even then, you know, maybe even less than that, maybe 25 hours a week. But I was going into heart surgery. I had a, we had a specialty device that basically would sand calcium out of the coronary arteries. Um, a lot of stuff now through heart surgery is done through, uh, you know, little wires. You come in through the wrist or hip crease. And then they use tiny little balloons and these stents, which are little metal devices that kind of open things up. So before they would do that, they would go in and use our device, which was a sander. And so it was just really interesting to see, you know, kind of the, the space there, really learn that, spend four years there, uh, just working with cardiologists and just learning something very special, specialized that I really, I never even took an anatomy class in, I think in high school or college. So again, I'm doing something that's very specialized. I learned a lot about that area, but, um, I think the best thing I, I did have a pretty good boss. I had a couple good bosses there, and uh, you know, a, a great boss makes a big difference when you're working a job. So I think that's like the number one, one of the number one factors to being happy in your job. Yeah, actually, let me follow up on that a little bit. So um, I mean, I agree, having a great boss can make the job uh, so much better. What What were some of the traits that your one or two great bosses had that you know you'd, you'd recommend other people look for when maybe you're looking to make a job move? Yeah. So I, I worked about, I think it was five different places over the 10 years or something. And it's a couple of them I didn't stay as long because uh, you know, I was always looking for this trade is really, I think there's only two types of managers, right? You have the, uh, the manager who's, who's a great manager, who they're supportive, anything you need, they'll help you. They trust you. They'll go to their bosses and fight for you and get you what you need and you know, be available and just you know, any sort of thing you need to help you get the job and they'll do it. And there's the other kind that's really a micromanager, right? That wants to know what you're doing every moment of every day and tells you how you're doing it wrong. And I've, I've experienced both, but I think the best managers, and I've really, they've really become friends. I mean, I keep in touch and we, you know, we're family friends and things like that. It's just because I know that they're committed to me as a person. They really get it when it comes down to personal decisions and work-life balance and, you know, really trying to be successful in, in every area of life. And so I think the quality is really is when somebody is really invested into you, invested in your success, they're willing to fight for you. They're willing to support you rather than just to please their bosses and to really try to control what you're doing. And just not only control the outcome, if you want this result, but even like the little steps all the way along the way it can be, it can be really challenging because then you almost have to manage your manager and that's, right. that's, it can be pretty difficult. Yeah. No, it's interesting. I, I mean, I think back to some great managers that I've ha had, and if maybe during a one-on-one, -on -one, you bring up something that you, you need help on A, B, or C. And uh, next thing you know, they're calling you back later that day and they have help on A, B, or C. I mean, they grabbed it. They took that as their number one priority. And I've always appreciated that versus other ones that, you know, they're there to manage the forecast. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And, and it's very apparent when people care. I mean, it's just when people care and they're really committed to you, it just, you know, I think people have to come before numbers. I think a big trend that's a little bit upsetting today is all of the 
kind of, you know, some one of the challenges is the big tech sales force kind of automated, you know, you're a cog in a, in a thing, you know, you're doing all the extra documentation. I know it's a lot of trend now. They throw money at a lot of these systems and they're not necessarily as relational. And it's challenging because there's a lot of managers that look at salespeople just as they are numbers and they're producing numbers and they're not, you know, obviously we're much more than numbers. So yeah. um, I think that's a challenge. Well, so Bronson, so you had, uh, as we talked about earlier, you had uh, quite a few uh, years where you were uh, a top rep, number one rep, uh, chief club. Um, you know, what do you feel separates the top performers from the rest of the pack? So it was interesting when I, when I got hired uh, at my first, you know, outside sales company, uh, it took me a little time to figure this out, but I, I realized if I went to the person who was the number one person in the company or the top person. And I asked, just kind of befriended them. I asked questions. I just said, you know, well, what is it you're doing? Whatever. And they would just tell me, they just, oh, I'm doing this. I'm doing this. What I'm focused on. This is how I do it. This is how I structure my day. So I really would cultivate that relationship or even with the top few people. I remember I did that at one company I was at, which was less surgical. It was more kind of outpatient stuff where we were doing a physical therapy device. And then I did it. Um, and I actually got to be number one, actually beating this guy out in the company. So maybe he didn't appreciate just sharing all that information with me. But I remember the, the second company that I worked at, second large company. I went to the number one guy and he was a trainer as well. He did some training with some of the other folks. So they let some of the top reps become, become a trainer. So he said, Hey, you know, I know that, that marketing is telling you to sell this product this way, but he's like, don't sell it this way. Here's how you sell it. He's like, actually, we have like 13 or 14 different products here. He's like, only sell these three products. Here's, here's the conversation you have with this person to sell this product. Here's the conversation. And he just literally just spelled it out. And, you know, it's amazing how people that are successful most of the time are really willing to share that information if they're collaborative. And, and that's usually why people get there. And so when people would ask me, and even now people ask me, how did you do this? Or how did you do that? I want to, I want to share that stuff because I think it's really, really helpful. But you know, a lot of people don't ask those questions. They don't approach those people in an honoring way or in a way that's like, Hey, I respect what you're doing. And you know, what is it you can do? So that, I think that was one of the biggest tips that I learned is just going to the top people and learning how they do it, being willing to do things differently and uh, you know, trial and error. Why do you think uh, people don't approach the, the other top performers to learn from them? I mean, I think, you know, it, it, you know, anybody's in sales, I mean, it's a competitive environment, right? We ranked, you know, every day, every week, you know, you're competing against other people. So, you know, it's kind of a, I mean, I hate to say it, but some, in some organizations, you have kind of a win-lose mentality. If this person gets first, then I can't get first. Or, you know, if they're doing really well, then that makes me look bad. And I think that, um, I, don't, I also think to be able to ask somebody in a way uh, it, it shows a degree of humility. You know, it's, it, it's a, it's a humble person that can go and ask and say, Hey, you know, I'm new here. Or, hey, I, this is what I'm doing. You know, I'd love to really know. I mean, you've had some great success here. What is it you're doing? And in a way you can kind of really honor and respect what someone's doing. So they feel encouraged and built up. And also you're, you're just really acknowledging where things are at. And I think it's, it, for some reason, it's hard to do that for a lot of people. I think for all of us, but I think when we can just kind of get to a place of humility and say, Hey, this person is achieving the results that I want to achieve. So if I can approach them in a way that you know, honors them and shows humility, um, you can get, you know, priceless information. So I think, mm -hmm. I, I just think it's, I think some of it's ego is the reason why we don't do it. Yeah. Maybe either ego or insecurity, either, either yeah. side, but uh, I've heard other reps say that, that that is one of the recipes to their success. And you think about it, right? Especially if you're starting with a new company or a new job, you know, there's a honeymoon period where you've got your time to kind of ramp up. But at some point, you know, you need to start performing and you've got that opportunity to really set that good first impression and get out of the gate strong. And there's, um, I don't know, maybe I've actually got a rep right now who's a little bit, uh, he's a little bit more of a senior rep in terms of years. And he'll, he calls everybody. He wastes no time. And as a result, he has hit the ground running. 
Um, so I, I definitely agree with that point. What was, uh, I'm curious, what was uh, the biggest you know, kind of lesson learned or maybe mistake you made in your early sales career that uh, you'd recommend other reps not do? Yeah, so it's interesting. sales is such an interesting experience, and it's especially in outside sales where you're. You know, I imagine a lot of your folks are outside sales where you don't necessarily have an office. You're going in, you're selling, you know, to you know, selling to businesses. Um, you know, in the beginning, I would go in, and it just felt really awkward for me. I mean, I, I had kind of sales where I'd done stuff at a retail center, you know, in high school and sold cell phones. You know, when I was in high school, and that was some experience. But to really understand the sales process, uh, you know, I would go into medical offices, and I would just start, you know feature and benefiting now. Hey, this is what we do. We do this, we do whatever. And of course the gatekeeper who's there who's the front desk at whatever medical office would just shut me down. They'd be like, oh yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, we're good. You know? And, and you know, if I was lucky, I might be able to schedule a lunch six months down the road. Uh, or if I wasn't, they'd say, you know, we were not interested. And so what I started doing is I completely changed my approach, Chris. I would basically come at it and say, hey, um, you know, how do you address this problem? And they'd say, oh yeah, well, we deal with this. This is my well. And I say, okay, well, what does that mean for this? And I just basically start to ask questions and ask two or three really good questions. And then they'd tell me all this information. And then I'd be like, and then they'd be like, wait, who are you again? I say, well, actually I'm a consultant and I help solve this problem. And so then they like, oh, let me introduce you to the manager. So it would just be a whole different conversation. So I think the idea of it's, you know, really good sales, it's inquiring and asking questions and it's really uncovering the need before you ever present what it is that you, the solution that you provide. And it's so easy to forget that in sales. Even when I was in sales, it's so easy to forget that. It's so easy to forget that you know, it doesn't really matter what you have. It doesn't really matter what product or whatever you're selling. And even what I, you know, do not in real estate, it doesn't really matter. It just matters is what does this person need and what is their perceived need? And can I meet them there and help lead them in a conversation? And I think that's the best salespeople do that. Yeah. Yeah. So true. And especially in a technical industry, um, you know, we spent in this industry, uh, we spent so much time training people on the products technology. And inherently, all the reps know that they need to go ask questions. I mean, they know that. Otherwise, they would have been hired as a sales rep in the first place. But, you know, meeting after meeting, and I've been on a lot of ride-alongs where they just, they, they kind of, they're looking for that in where they, where they think they can maybe position the features and benefits of that product. And then boom, they're, they're up there talking and uh, it's not always landing. So it's, uh, you know, it's a great point. Hello, sales pros. I hope you are enjoying the High Tech Freedom Podcast. If you are interested in learning more about passively investing in multifamily real estate, you can download our educational ebook at hightechfreedom.com. While there, you can also sign up for our newsletter where we will provide insights on real estate investing as well as sales tips so that you can continue to crush it in your high tech sales role. Now, I often hear people say, eh, I'll get to that later or uh, I'll read that book later. Well, there's no time like the present to improve your knowledge. So I hope you take advantage of at least the newsletter. In the meantime, please reach out if I can help out in any way. Now let's get back to the show. Well, let me ask you. So, uh, Bronson, one of the reasons I was excited to speak with you is I, I've noticed, you know, I just kind of randomly found you one time. Actually, I might have heard you on a podcast. Um, and so I, I started watching you on social media and you've put a looks like you've put a lot of time in branding yourself in social media and putting content out there about what you're doing uh, from a real estate real estate perspective. How critical do you think social media is in either selling or developing your brand to be able to sell more? Yeah, so I think uh, 
I, I think it's definitely going more that way. I'm sure there's a lot of people that are uh, watching or, or hearing this that, you know, it just looks different for different people. Some people have, you know, it's almost their own business, like a distributorship. Uh, some people are doing something at a large company, which I kind of did, you know, a couple of large companies also did some startup stuff. Uh, it, it does, social media is more, it's around more and more and more, and it's a great way to connect with people. Um, I, to be honest, I didn't do it as much with my, um, when I was doing medical sales, I really didn't do as much with social media, uh, a little bit, but with my real estate, I do a lot because it really is a way that, especially, you know, living in Los Angeles and just, you know, I, when I was in outside sales, I, I'd just be meeting people all the time. I'd be going to different medical offices and hospitals and clinics. And I, I was just was out a lot. Well, now I, pretty much work from home. I go to conferences and events that tend to be mostly in Texas. I know we did have one here recently in Los Angeles, but uh, it's just been a more challenging place to get connected to people. So I do social media. I put stuff on LinkedIn. I put stuff on uh, you know, some of the other socials and I have a YouTube channel as well. But I, think it, I do think it is um, something that is necessary for some to be able to grow their business. However, um, there is a lot of you know, activity on social media and just being a live person that if you actually do go do physically, you know, you call on different offices, it really will set you apart than just being a phone or social media or some sort of like non-present person. Mm -hmm. So I do think that there's a huge advantage. The more automated and the more technical and the more social media there is, the more benefit I think for sales reps, if you actually just show up, um, a lot of good things can happen. Even if, even if they tell you not to, they, you can't be there, they kick you out. It's still a good thing to show up because uh, you're continually putting yourself out there. So know, knowing what you know now, how might you have used social media differently when you were doing your medical device sales? Um, I mean, yeah, I think, you know, there, there's a lot of opportunities. I was working with a lot of different physicians. You know, I could have taken with permission, maybe taken some of their uh, great procedures and some of the images. Obviously, we can't share patient-to-patient information, but just taking some of the images and telling the story and tagging them on there and doing more stuff like that. Because, of course, they would appreciate that, maybe have more loyalty to the brand. Uh, so if somebody's working in tech, maybe there's ways that you can just find a way to add value, right? If, if you really want to become a part of the team, which is um, really a consultative type of sell where people kind of forget that you're a salesperson, you know, you've really kind of found a way on the inside where you're really being brought in to kind of help with that process. I think that's a really envied place to be. And I found myself there a number of times with really key offices and different you know, physicians. And, and then that was unusual. That's something but you can develop it. But the idea is just creating that value for people. And so if you could basically kind of connect and find ways to help promote them in different ways, or maybe even it's just clients you call on, you can help promote their services. I mean, obviously it's challenging if you're selling to their competitors as well. So you've got to kind of figure out how you're going to navigate that. But in my industry, it would, you were able to do that, just kind of focusing on the actual procedure itself and not as much, you know, who was doing it. It was more like, oh, this guy's doing this, this is what it is. And I'll promote it. I'll just a really good procedure, you know? Yeah. Well, I think, I mean, the key there is, right, you said you've got to add value, find a way to add value. And, you know, I just got to think about, uh, you know, you maybe you're trying to break into a new account, maybe trying to get to a new um, decision maker. If you can be adding value, sharing some content, maybe you have an article, maybe you've reposted an article versus what, you know, most corporate companies want to do is they give you a bunch of information to go post. It's really just a commercial right. that adds no value. So if you can find a way to add value, when you do maybe reach out to that person, they come back and check you out. Um, you know, maybe there's something there of value that they can grab onto and they may not respond the first time or the second time or the third time, but, you know, as they're starting to see what you're doing out there, that's in your industry, that's adding value, um, they might respond after one of the, you know, outreach calls. 
Yeah, and that's and that's really a good point. I think Chris is just the idea. You know, I heard this quote one time at an event, and it just really changed the way I looked at everything. And it really has has brought a lot of success in different areas of my life. But uh, it's, a, it's a paraphrase from Jim Rohn, who's a who's a well known kind of uh, he was a kind of self help personal development guru, and he said, uh, you know, make yourself valuable to valuable people. So again, when you go to people, if you found a way to become really valuable to one of the leaders in your industry that you want to sell to not even for the sake of selling to them, but just for the sake of being of value to them. So you figure out what their problem is. And if you can try to help solve that, even if it's totally unrelated to what you're doing, that person will be, they'll be at the very least, they'll be very grateful. And at the best, they, they might just pull you in and say, hey, we need, to, we need to work with this person. They really get it because most people are not doing that. People that are valuable people, meaning they're really wealthy or they're leaders or they have big businesses or they're high level, whatever, they have a lot of problems they're trying to solve. And they're always thinking in terms of how do I solve these problems? But if you as a salesman come in and kind of take your sales hat off for a little bit and say, hmm, what, what, where is this person coming from? And how can I maybe step into their shoes? And what are they dealing with? I was always trying to do that when I, you know, a lot of sales, and I'm sure a lot of folks that are doing tech sales, it's like there's multiple parts of the sale, right? So somebody who's an HR manager versus somebody who's a, a product manager or a buyer, whatever department it is, they always approach things differently. So you got to think about how can I help solve a problem for this person? And the more you can do that, the more you, that's how you win advocates. That's how you win champions. And that's how you really win deals, and especially big deals, especially the more complex they are, because you'll find advocates that will really uh, fight for you. Yeah. Yeah. We're selling to people, right? So, and people have problems. So solve those problems. You're probably going to be in pretty good shape. That's right. Yeah, totally. Yeah. There'll never, there'll always be, a, there'll always be a place for you if you can solve problems. Well, so, uh, so Bronson, part of the, uh, the podcast theme is, right, once you've earned it, once you've made those big commission checks, you know, how do you invest it? So you're doing real estate now full-time. You've, made, you've left your W-2 uh, job. I'm curious to hear your thoughts. You know, why real estate? Yeah, so real estate is, uh, you know, obviously people know, I think most of the listeners, everybody knows, you know, we should be doing real estate. Real estate tends to go up over time. Uh, like I was mentioning kind of in the beginning, my story of doing single family, getting a small single family portfolio, and then Really discovering uh, kind of what multifamily was about, and realizing that I could invest passively, uh, you know, fifty or hundred k, and basically, hopefully, see it double every five years or so, which was really amazing. And I realized there were tax benefits. And so, you know, if you look at people that are really high net worth, like over a hundred million dollars, which I know is, is very high net worth, but these people have the majority, the highest percentage of their net worth is in commercial real estate. So more than stocks. More than other things, we've really been taught that uh, traditional investments are stocks and bonds. But the only reason that's the case is because Wall Street has spent billions of dollars educating us that those are traditional investments. Right now, I personally think that bonds are incredibly high risk. You know, you could lose a lot of your value both in the stock and bond market. So I think the idea of having the ability to invest in real estate to be able to scale your wealth. Uh, and for me, obviously, you know, I've been able to raise over twenty million dollars now from different investors to buy one hundred fifty million of real estate assets. But it was just it allowed me the ability to continue to scale. To where I could grow my income, uh, you know, actively and passively, and be able to cover my living expenses, which I was able to do, and that's why I was able to leave my W two, which is great. Yeah. So when you were uh, still working in your W two, um, had you uh, made the move from single family to multifamily? Yeah, yeah. So that, that's a challenge too. I think for anybody that has a side hustle or has something that they're working towards. Uh, that maybe they want to do. And it's it's challenging when you're in a highly paid sales role. If you're making over 100 or 200K, it's challenging to know how to make that move. And so, yeah, so I started uh, you know, about four years ago and I was basically, uh, you know, started a meetup in Pasadena, California, where I live, started kind of networking, raised a little bit of money for a deal, found a partner, started, you know, while I was still working my 
W-2 job, I was taking these phone calls sometimes you know, during the week where I talk with different investors. I'm speaking with over 1,000 investors one-on-one over 18 months and raised $15 million. And it was just, it was kind of hard to balance. Sometimes I would just like, I would take a whole day, like, I'd, like over the week, I'd take a Tuesday and just do 20 back-to-back calls with investors. And yeah, I'm still trying to kind of maintain the perception that I'm working super hard and I'm doing all these things. And so it's, it's challenging to balance it, but I had to kind of coach myself that it was okay. You know, if I had something I was working towards, which I knew was really my future, it was okay to, instead of being a you know, top 10% rep, like I'd been, you know, several times, it was okay for me to be like, okay, I'm going to be a little more average now because I'm working toward this other thing. And, uh, but yeah, it's been quite a journey, but I think for me, it's just walking through that and trying to scale. I mean, you mentioned social media, it was challenging to scale up my, my real estate business because I knew if I really put my stuff out there, it could potentially hurt or even destroy my, my, you know, W2 great job. But at the time I did it, I was really ready to leave and it, it kind of did happen. It kind of happened in a way where a boss's boss saw a post and what's this Bronson equity thing and, and started to get curious. So I would say with social media, if you do have a side hustle or if you're trying to do something else, uh, just to be you know, be aware that you know people people see it, people watch it. You can't actually go on LinkedIn and block everybody in your company so they can't see any of your stuff. But then that can kind of limit some of the other stuff you're doing as well. So mm-hmm. uh, it was it's been an interesting journey though to kind of make that transition. Yeah, I bet. So when you were doing uh, some before you hit the multifamily, then you had some single families. Were you uh, actively were you, were you self managing all of those or? Yeah. So I had, uh, you know, I live in Southern California. I had a house in Montana and several in Cleveland, Ohio. And I wasn't, I had property managers for all of them, but I would get calls, uh, you know, every week or every, I mean, just, you know, the tenant's not paying here or the toilet's out over here. We've got this issue here with the city and it just, it just continually, there was stuff coming up. So that's what I really, where I, what I, over time, I started to realize that single family investing really wasn't as passive because I couldn't scale it up as, as big as I wanted for me to uh, my goal at the time was to get 30 houses in Cleveland and be able to retire with passive income. But I realized like it just would be a lot of work. I'd be yeah, a lot of one work. Job, <laughs> one job for another versus an apartment when you get, you know, a 30 unit or you get a hundred, actually when it gets more efficient, when you get over 80 units, um, it gets much, much more efficient. You get much better property management. It's really a financial asset. If one person moves out, it doesn't destroy your, your whole month, you know, versus if I've got four houses and one person's out, you know, I've got a 25% vacancy. Or let's just say you have one house, it's 100% vacancy. So um, the idea of just being able to scale was really attractive to me. Yeah, interesting. So, um, you know, I know I've talked to a number of people. They're always trying to figure out, right, where do I invest? Um, do I invest in the stock market? Do I invest in real estate? But then I hear real estate is really hot right now. I don't want to buy at the worst, worst time. I mean, what is your perception and take right now on the, uh, uh, the commercial real estate market as a place to invest? Yeah, well, it's it's really interesting right now because a lot of people think in terms of you know, real estate goes up, real estate goes down, and in general, we've seen that, right? We saw that in two thousand eight. We saw the crash. We saw houses come down. Uh, things have you know really been heating up. But what, also another thing that's happened with COVID is that we've created forty percent of all the currency that exists just in the last two years. So it's it, if you really think about that, we really haven't had a time in history where that's happened. So everybody's wondering why are prices going up? Why is everything costing more? Um, and so the long-term trend, I think, is really very inflationary, meaning assets such as real estate uh, will generally cost more. Now, there's a difference between people ask, well, how's the real estate market? And I was like, well, which market? You know, Real estate isn't necessarily an asset class. You have single family, you've got multifamily, you've got commercial of all different kinds, you've got you know, people that do short-term rentals, you've got, and then you met, let's say in Los Angeles, well, what market of Los Angeles? Is it a nice area? Is it not a nice area? Uh, you know, new construction, old construction. So there's many, many, many different markets. 
So in Los Angeles, we've seen a lot of single family housing across the country have doubled or tripled in the last you know, eight to 10 years. So I, th- I, I personally feel there's some risk there to buy because things have come up so quickly so much. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, some multifamily areas where we're seeing population growth and job growth and business friendly, such as Jacksonville or Atlanta, where we're buying a lot of stuff, Florida and Georgia and some of those areas, we're just seeing all of these things that are causing prices and rents to continually go up. So I think that you know, if you can buy something with debt at 3%, whether it's a, a, a you know, multifamily, a single family, and you, you're able to get long-term debt on it, it's really a way that you're, you know, if inflation is 7 to you know, 7% or higher, you know, they really say it could be as high as 10 to 15%, depending on what you look at, but you're getting debt so cheap that if you want to hold long-term, I would say it's not a bad idea to consider uh, looking at something in a multifamily deal or some other type of commercial deal. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think you put that. Uh, it's a well, it's a great point, right? It's you can't just not invest, right, and just sit on the sideline because look at what happened. All those people that sat on the sideline during the last recession, and then the boom that came after that. Uh, I mean, they left a lot of capital or missed out on a lot of growth uh, over that period of time. So, I mean, it's to your point is what's the asset? What's the area? You got to do your homework, right? And yeah. uh, you know, study all the things that support that deal, and uh, you know, then make a good educated decision. Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, there's really no substitute for educating yourself. And so I used to be an investment advisor for a little bit while I was, you know, it's kind of another side hustle I did in the past. And one thing I learned is you can't give specific advice for people's situation. Everybody just, the most important investment you make really is in your own education. So if somebody's learning, it really wants to learn about real estate, you go to meetups, you go to national conferences, you just get around other people that are doing real estate or doing the type of thing that you want to do, even if it's in sales, we talked about getting around the top performers, get around people that are where you want to be and asking questions and just being a sponge. Yeah, that's a good point. And uh, I've had a number of guests, pretty high performing salespeople. And uh, one of the things I've also noticed from many of them is uh, they have sales coaches, right? They have people that help them perform, you know, some very successful vice presidents, executive vice presidents. Uh, They've all personally out of pocket paid for their own professional coach. It's really helped accelerate their their career. So it's just a great example of taking those commission dollars, investing it in something that provides a return in terms of financial, something that provides a return in terms of personal development. You know, you've got to invest in all aspects of uh, of your life. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, coaching gets you there faster for sure. So Bronson, as we wrap up, uh, you know, I always like to ask people about uh, you know what do they do to give back? Is there a cause or something that you do that you're passionate about? Yeah. So my big why is I, I want to generate a lot of capital and you know, make a lot of money to be able to fight uh, human trafficking in the world. So uh, today there are 20 to 40 million human slaves uh, in the world, which is more than there have ever been in history. And it's just kind of unfathomable. It's hard to know. It feels like a big, uh, some people just start shocked or just have no idea this is the case. But uh, my sister started an organization called Dressember. Um, so just the word dress and then so dressember.org is the, is the website. And they've raised uh, 15 or $20 million to help create awareness, to, to really advocate for you know, a lot of different places. And this happens in the U.S. as well. It's not just overseas, but there's a lot of uh, ways to get involved in, in the cause. But I think it's something that we need to continue to fight and do more or else it will get worse. And so I just that's something I've really dedicated my life to is just to try to end human slavery in the world. Yeah. And if somebody wants more information about that, we'll, uh, we'll include that in the, in the show notes. So if a, if a listener wants to get hold of you, Bronson, how can they, uh, how can they reach out to you? Oh, yeah, they can reach out by site is bronsonequity.com. I have this report, which is the single best investing strategy during and after a pandemic. It's 24 color pages. It talks a little bit about uh, real estate, multifamily investing, some of the compelling things when you compare it to the stock market. 
Uh, or you can just shoot me an email if you have a specific question or you want to connect uh, Bronson at bronsonequity.com. But I really appreciate you bringing me on, Chris. Yeah, my pleasure. And I've downloaded your book. So it's, uh, it's great content. So check it out if you get a chance. Awesome. Thanks, man. All right. Thanks, Bronson. Have a great day. Thanks so much. You too. Thanks again for joining us today. To get more sales and real estate tips, you can subscribe to our newsletter at hightechfreedom.com. You can also join our private Facebook and LinkedIn group that is exclusively for sales professionals. If you found a nugget of good information in the podcast, please subscribe, give us a positive rating, and write a review. If there is a topic that you would like us to cover in the future, please send us a note through our website at hightechfreedom.com. Until next week, make this your best week ever.